Good morning. It is Monday, April 11th, 2022, and this is DC Signal to Noise. Since we last talked, USDA released a crop condition report that showed the winter wheat conditions worse than any time since 1996, and we got an update to the supply and demand balance sheets. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been proven to be as brutal as feared after Russia struck a civilian train station, killing dozens, wounding hundreds. The rally in grains restarted, but certainly not livestock. Judge Brown Jackson was uh, was uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court. Get this. Tiger Woods not only played in the Masters, but made the cut. Scotty Scheffler won the tournament. The Cubs and the Cardinals started 2-1. and one. The Nationals started 1-3. and three. Good morning, Jim. What do you make of that? Well, at least we won one. I thought we'd <laughs> zero and four. So we'll take any victory. Any gotcha. victory. Gotcha. Yeah, Cardinals are still wrapping up the the opening series. That was a four-gamer down uh, in yes, St. Like, Louis. Like we had with the Mets, but they're playing yep. their fourth game today in beautiful, yeah. beautiful St. Louis Stadium. Yeah, the Cubs Brewers were was supposed to be a four gamer as well, but we instead will be playing a makeup game, I believe on Memorial Day in a doubleheader. Oh, so that's yeah. Yeah. Hey, let's play two on Memorial Day. Makes a lot of sense. Let's yes. uh, get out and have some fun. Jim, um what you know, I, I want to start with some of the things that happened last week. And let's start with the Supreme Court. Uh it was it, be, there were some Republican senators that voted to confirm um, Judge Jackson's uh, assignment to the Supreme Three. Court. Three? Three. Okay. Yeah. So technically, you can call it bipartisan support. Yeah, it was tilted to, to yeah. the uh, you know, partisan side. It wasn't as visceral as uh, no. what we've seen lately, although there were some smarmy uh, attacks, if you will, but, uh, you, you know, the process is, uh, you know, done. It is interesting though. The wall street journal had an editorial today saying, uh, they didn't like this precedent of approving a new Supreme court, uh, justice. I noticed you didn't say her first name, Katanji Brown right. Jackson, uh, before the, uh, the outgoing one is, is gone. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that one doesn't make sense all to me. sorts of things <laughs> yep. that, that you might want to pick one a year from now and, you know, you, you know, get one under your belt. You exactly. Know? Exactly. So if as you're coming up to the end of a term of a president, a, a, a sitting court justice may decide, you know what, I am going to retire next year. Uh, there's going to be a change in the the uh, resident at the White House. Let's go ahead and get yeah. a new appointee in place now. Yes. Yeah. At I, least possibility is there. And I thought they raised it. I had not seen anyone else raise that. So yeah. it's an interesting issue. Yes, it certainly is. Certainly is. What else happened last week that really caught your eye? I mean, the the, the situation in in Ukraine, um, as I said in the open, it's just as brutal as, as we feared it would be. Well, Russia has a new uh, general heading the attack, the butcher of Syria. So that tells you where, where that's going. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, overall, uh, there, you know, Ukraine is getting more and more selected weapons from the U.S. and, and our Western uh, allies. But this thing is going to be 
a war of attrition, Chip. And, and it's interesting. I saw a headline on AgWeb uh, after the USDA reports that the, some traders are, uh, were surprised that we rallied so much uh, the day after the reports. Or, uh, but it wasn't the USDA reports that they were focusing on. They're focusing on not just the lack or reduced production, in Ukraine and, and some yeah, of the shipping, increasing shipping problems. And also in China, we saw China buy a little over a million tons of corn again today in a daily announcement. Uh, uh, it, it's that. It's this food security and national security that has the markets riveted right now, Chip. So, And I think that has some lingering uh, aspects because, frankly, we don't know the production levels of a number of countries. No, that's right. Jim, I did a little bit of surfing out on social media yesterday afternoon uh, it, as I noticed that the, the food security and, and food shortage conversation was picking up out there. And the level of uh, the level of knowledge about U.S. food production uh, is is contained in a very tight circle. Yeah, because those outside that circle know know very very little about how food is produced. Well, even at the White House, Chip, oh. they're not. I don't know. I've got to check with our ag liaison over there. I, I, I remember the a uh, couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a White House official, very high level, uh, who who was worried about uh, the size of the corn crop and what it would mean for the food industry. I go, how much commercial corn have you ever eaten? Yeah. And he didn't even know I was joking. You know, that's yeah. a little scary there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Uh, uh, there, there was one thread on Twitter in particular that uh, uh, someone started it off with the U S needs to do the right thing and start increasing our food production so that we can be an exporter of food. <laughs> Really? Well, yeah. If this is a time for education, we have to have but, summer courses, Chip. We have <laughs> extended but, courses. But but the thing is, Jim, there there was I, I don't know how many thousand likes on that one statement. Uh, um so multiply that in into what it might mean about uh, how how much is misunderstood or just simply not known? Not known, you know about about the the food production monster that the United States is. You wonder what they teach in school. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, we got to go back to the basics. This is food production. They would learn a lot, and where the farmer in the class, there's always a farm kid in any class. Right, you would think, yeah, and they're the best instructors to get up there. I remember growing up in in a in a small town outside of a rural community where we had uh, farm kids uh, get up in front of the class and yeah. uh, show us some seed and tell us what they yep. did, and it made sense. You yep, know? yeah, that's right, that's right. I remember doing it in church, you know. Um, yep getting up in front of the congregation and explaining this is corn, this is wheat, this, and then that was in a small rural community. Yeah. So, um, but we still did it and yeah. it, and it may not be happening at this time. It's, it's uh, so there, there's going to be 
as this continues, Jim, I think there's going to be an education effort that is required so that the American people understand that we are not just sit, sitting back and allowing a global food crisis to happen. Absolutely. Um, and make bad policy choices, right? economic, trade policy, economic policy. And this is why on AgriTalk, I've been imploring these network news of people to invite USDA Secretary yes. Tom Ilsack on their news program because he's a good communicator and he he could help in the education process because yep. in the intervening months, uh, Chip, my fear is that if we have a just a below trend corn and soy yeah. crop, you're 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 going to have the crazies come out of the woodwork here, uh, pointing fingers again, which this town is good at, both political parties, and saying, "What are we going to do about these food prices? Let alone right. fertilizer, uh, diesel prices, etc." And that's where some stupid decisions can be made. Right, absolutely. Just a reminder: uh, if you would like to be part of the conversation, there, you click on the comments tab. It'll open up a dialogue box for you and send it our way. Uh, it, Jim, the again, you don't know exactly what you can believe when you see it on social media, but when you see it, you have to look into it a little bit further. It looks to me like the unrest is really bubbling up in Shanghai. Uh, terrible situation there. Yes, uh, they make record number of cases each day, 20,000, et cetera, cases uh, each day of, of, of new COVID. And it's expanding uh, beyond Shanghai. And this is why it's it's in their trucking situation. They can't find the workers to drive the truck. So even though the ports may still be open, it's just bogged down, which tells me the easy conclusion, Chip, that our logistics, uh, you know, supply chain yeah. uh, woes are going to be uh, extended. And this adds into the dynamics here of connecting dots that this issue is not going to be settled uh, anytime uh, soon. So right. and, and that's why uh, around the world you have, well, we have another return of Arab Spring. Uh, you're, you're already seeing the World Bank say and, and IMF saying, oh, you better watch out here because this, you know, this thing is getting into crisis, you, you, you know, territory here. We're seeing all the signs of, of, of this, you yeah. know. Yep. OK, uh, I feel like we need to move on. Well, last we, week, we also had the EPA. Well, that's where uh, I was going to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let, let me let me give you the details on it. Sure. We talked about it on on uh, AgriTalk, the free for all on Friday morning. But the EPA has decided that 36 of the SRE small refinery exemptions dating back to 2018 were issued improperly. But for 31 companies, they have been given an alternative route to compliance. And that alternative route to compliance is also an alternative route to exemption. Yeah. Because there's no compliance required from these 31 companies. Yes. Already done. They'll say things like that. They punted. They left the refiners uh, off the hook. You know, right. there's, there's no other way to say it. And, uh, 
you, and it's going to hurt uh, the EPA's uh, credibility, which is was already hurt before, frankly. Uh, who's calling the shots over there? Is it Michael Regan or not? Or is it someone else? Is it right. uh, the real president of the United States, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain? Hear me correctly there, by the way. Uh, so we'll see. Now, uh, President okay. Biden will be in Iowa early this week. Uh, and he's going to a town. Uh, Menlo. Menlo. Uh, that has an ethanol plant. Well, that has the biofuel proponents uh, hoping, at least, that he'll have something to say about year-round E15, at least this year. We'll see. Now, the White House officially is saying he's going to talk about infrastructure, a measure that has already passed, and how that's helping out rural America and his economic strategy Dude. for workers and families. So I don't think you go to Menlo, Iowa just for that, especially no. with, with an ethanol plant there. If you go to Menlo, Iowa to talk about the infrastructure bill and leave <laughs> E15 out... <laughs> It's it's it like be inviting Obama to the White House, which happened last week, and everybody focused on Obama and, and not Biden, and that was just embarrassing. What an awkward situation. Yes, felt sorry for him. I, I did, too. I, it, and he brought it on himself by saying that I am Barack Obama's vice president. Yeah. Why would you say that? No, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, that, well, once again, we got a murky, convoluted EPA statement on yeah. the RFS, which tells me, Chip, that for the future, for what's going to happen now, we should get the final uh, 2022. That's what people are interested in. Uh, by court order, no later than June 3rd. Well, we're going to see if we have that. Then sometime between June 3rd and the end of this year, we will have EPA's announcement about the future of the RFS, the so-called reset, reset. Uh, because I think I've said on this uh, podcast before in my research, I don't see Congress legislating in this area because there's no overall consensus about the future of RFS from Capitol Hill, which means EPA is going to decide the future of the Renewable Fuel Standard Program. Right. It's not going to go away, but the, the murkiness, which I would much prefer uh, codification by Congress on the future, air the debate, you know, yep. come to an agreement. But yes. That remains to be seen. Yes. Jim, you're suggesting that they actually do their job. Do their job. Absolutely. Yes. And why do we, how can we be so quick to just write it off and say, oh, it's in the hands of the EPA? Why shouldn't one of these ethanol, why won't one of the biofuels proponents in Washington, D.C. say, Congress, it's time for us to do our job and figure out where the RFS goes going forward? Yeah, well, it happens all the time, even in a farm bill, Chip. When when they write a farm bill, typically they'll leave discretionary, a pretty good, uh, wide, I should say, I'm not to say good, uh, discretionary authority for the USDA secretary to implement uh, certain clauses. Then, right. then when a subject comes up, they bemoan the fact Right. That uh, that that they want the secretary to go a certain way when they had the opportunity in the writing of a farm bill to specify what they want to do happens all the time. It's just typical Congress finger pointing. Yeah, and it's leaving the door open to be able to finger point is what uh, makes it so frustrating. 
yes. Yeah, I'm not saying they shouldn't have some flexibility in some program. Oh, sure. But if you want a certain outcome, specify it because, again, as we've learned over the decades, uh, writing a bill is one thing, implementing it is just as important. And the more you give, any administration, whether it's Democratic or Republican, uh, they'll they'll go a certain way that they think that it should go, and they'll find a lawyer to, to make it go that way. Right, right. Okay. Um, this was the the uh, overturning of the 36 SREs, precedent setting in a couple of ways. Uh, number one, the way that the SREs were issued was wrong. So they're overturning that. Number two, the forgiveness of the SREs or the, the blending obligations, excuse me, the forgiveness of the blending obligations also sets a precedent going forward because there's, what, 60 that are still pending, Jim? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head here. At least we know that the odds are rather high that the the coming announcement from EPA will deny uh, most, if not all, of the requested uh, your waivers, Chip, because of, of what they announced last week. Right, right. So already with the 36 that, that are lost, or the 31 that are lost, that's 1.4 billion gallons of ethanol demand that has been, that's gone. Yes. Uh, it's not coming back anytime. And and that was part of the, the hope or the uh, suggestions from the from the biofuels industry is that we would roll that demand forward even over a period of years and they uh, could have done that they, and they, they that. should have done that yeah to be yeah. pro uh, ethanol and right. this gives the image that uh, the uh, biofuel proponents did not right. win, did not win this battle okay now i want to stay on e15 for just a moment and i read this i read this on friday's agritalk in uh, the free for all in the morning, but I'm going to read it to you again, just to emphasize that it is not just farmer groups. It is not just biofuel groups that want year around availability of E15 consumers. And it, it, now listen, please listen closely to, to these words because I think it is so well done. This is a letter that was dated March 9th. Quote, this is a unique situation where the administration's energy security and geopolitical objectives are fully aligned with its environmental priorities. Allowing year-around E15 would make the U.S. more energy secure, enhancing the nation's geopolitical leverage, all the while improving gasoline's emissions characteristics. Thank you for your consideration of this request. That was sent to EPA Administrator Michael Regan from the National Association of Convenience Stores, NATSO, representing America's travel plazas and truck stops, and Sigma, America's leading fuel marketers. Yeah. The retailers want it. It fits so well with what the Biden administration has stated is, is, is their goals. Uh, what's if it doesn't happen in Menlo, Jim, this is going to be really hard for the industry to take. Yes, another missed opportunity if if they don't announce it. So we'll see. So right. uh, listen to AgriTalk. Yes, absolutely. We will we will get it covered. Okay, on to the cattle. 
Uh, April 26th, there is going to be a Senate Ag Committee hearing on the Cattle Market Price Discovery and Transparency Act. Uh, and you just learned this morning that there is a whopper of a hearing happening the next day in the House Ag Committee. Yes, and my I'm going to speak tomorrow at a pork management meeting in uh, Nashville, and then that night, Wednesday night, I'll speak in Southern Virginia at a cattleman's convention. And in my research for that speech, Chip, I discovered, I found out that on April 27th, the House Ag Committee is requesting, and uh, that's a, a, a word that we'll talk about, that uh, uh, the CEOs, not, not anyone else, CEOs from the top five meatpacking companies to attend that hearing. Now, uh, they have ways to make those CEOs attend if they choose not to with a subpoena, and it will be sworn testimony, uh, I've been told. So that's going to be an interesting hearing, Jeff. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be interesting. Um, if, if for no other reason than to follow the line of questioning that comes from the house members. Yes. And they'll have their lawyers there if it's, if it's the way I think I'm going. So they'll try to uh, catch them. You know, this is going to be a very, very well attended, uh, hearing. And then you have a uh, word that, uh, some lawmakers, both political parties want USD, want USDA to have the approval to have a general counsel to investigate, uh, you know, meat industry competition. Now, if there was ever a general counsel on that particular topic, uh, that could create all sorts of uh, issues uh, for some in the industry. Not that competition is, is unnecessary. Of course it's necessary. But why do we have an attorney general for these? You know, we do. As far right. as the livestock pricing uh, hearing, uh, most of the people now think some way will be found. It'll be watered down to have a, a livestock pricing bill, but we, but no one seems to define what that bill is going to be, Chip. And uh, I know you've said on AgriTalk, people are, some cattle producers are tired about unintended consequences that they just want something done. Okay, right. well, apparently that's that, uh, that is being heard, uh, but maybe I'll find out more at the Virginia Cattlemen's Meeting about which way they're going to go. But you have both Farm Bureau and NCBA uh, opposing uh, the ever-changing Grassley, Fisher, et al. bill. I think Tester has another bill. So, mm -hmm. but but these things are, are adding up, Chip. So this is uh, later this month, we're going to have uh, meat industry issues being, you know, uh, being front yeah. and center. Yeah, they'll be front and center. I don't know if anything will be decided. Um, the the thing that that I keep when when you talk about general counsel and an investigation into competitive issues and packers and stockyards, Jim, I I keep going back to what is happening in the poultry industry with the with the jury trials on on price fixing in in poultry. They can't find a jury that can make a decision. Yeah. Uh, it is that complicated of an issue to uh, 
to make a decision on this, you would have to pre-qualify the jurors, I think, with some sort of an economic understanding of how all the markets work. Well, now you're not now you're not just going out and finding a jury of peers. You're going out and selecting. And I, I don't know if we're ever going to get into a ever be in a position where anything definitive can be announced on this. No, and now now there's all sorts of studies that either have been done, Texas A and M are to be done, uh, University of Northern Nebraska, I think. Uh, anyway, a university in Nebraska has been asked to look at, in uh, the operation of the uh, meat industry since COVID. Uh, and they got over a quarter of a million dollars to do that study. So we're going to be loaded with studies. And, and both sides usually uh, do these studies until they find the one that agrees with their position. That's right. just how Washington works. Right. Right. Okay. CRP enrollment. Let's hit that real quick. Uh, I, I felt like Secretary Vilsack did a, a, a very nice job of explaining the, the change in the CRP enrollments from um, uh, at the end of the last sign-up period. Well, yes, and there's just not, most of the ground is not highly productive ground that's in there. That doesn't mean there's a, a, a none, but I think he did a really good job of explaining why uh, you don't need to tap into the CRP because they're not getting much interest in the uh, general CRP round anyway. Right. Uh, so you're going to have a net uh drainage from the CRP once the official numbers come out. So again, let let the program work, yeah. you know, which is the way to go. But uh, there's, there, there's uh, relative to the farm bill, I want to bring this up, Chip, because okay. usually you'll hear the line, myself included, that says the next farm bill will be evolutionary, not revolutionary. Yep. I say with one exception, when it gets into conservation and climate, I think you're going to see a huge debate of morphing uh, those into the, the probably the biggest issue in the farm bill, uh, because uh, they'll, they'll pump a lot of money into the new farm bill for that. And that goes into not just the CRP, but all sorts of other conservation reserve programs. And of course, uh, climate change uh, relative to uh, Vilsack keeps saying that's the next revenue stream. So uh, yeah, we're going to be discussing conservation programs over, over the next year, a lot of times. Okay. Just a heads up, because I know you're going to be really busy this week. We've got um, Undersecretary Bonnie scheduled to be on AgriTalk on Wednesday morning, Jim. Okay. So, so we need to get some questions ready on the conservation side for Secretary Bonnie, and uh, uh, so yeah, there's there's your warning. Yeah. <laughs> Help me get ready for that well, one. Well, how does he how does he measure carbon, and how does he price it? And once right. we know those answers, we can, you know, we can exactly, go exactly. And what should what should be the official role of of government? in setting those markets. Yes. And, and you know, we, we had an email uh, last week, Chip, uh, on whether or not there's continued funding in the loop for uh, expanding uh, the you know meat processing to small and medium plants. And it's not an ongoing 
you know, funding mechanism. Uh, we did check into that. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be additional funding made, but at least in the legislation and the announcement, that's not a continued, uh, you know, program. But as we've uh, found the, the last uh, two years, uh, USDA can shift a lot of money around. Right, right. Jim, we got a question from Kirby says, do you have an update on your late January article concerning the Minnesota court case that may impact crop insurance regarding intended uses of corn forage versus corn for grain? Yes, and I don't think it went very well, but I need to bone up on, because uh, it was a legal ease uh, update that I got from a lawyer. So we promise on Pro Farmer, I will put it in my policy updates either tomorrow or Wednesday, and then we'll make sure to discuss this. You know, thank you, Kirby, uh, on the next uh, signal to noise. All right. But I, I don't am, think it went very well. Uh, I am I am copy and pasting it into my file right now so that we don't so that we don't miss it. All yeah. Right? We may even have a guest on to to make intelligence okay. out of that topic. Very good. Very good. What else have we got going this week, Jim? Not much time left. Uh, no, it's this food food price uh, oh. inflation. Oh, we're going to get a lot of inflation. Oh, that's right. The U.S. and around the world. China's uh, numbers uh, came out today, Chip, and they were higher than expected. We'll get China's GDP actually on Saturday. But we have both consumer and producer uh, uh, inflation and consumer so, is on Tuesday. Producer is on Wednesday. Yes. And the, the, the inflation numbers in the U S are signaling that the companies are not being able to, uh, uh, elevate their prices enough to, to, uh, deal with some of their rising costs. At least that's what some of the initial numbers are, are telling me when you look at both CPI and, uh, and the producer price index, where the CPI is going up faster than the producer price index. So a lot of numbers this week on, on that front. And bottom line, the Wall Street Journal survey out uh, over the weekend, inflation is not going to go away anytime soon. And you have even some of the Fed governors saying that. It'll right. go into 2023. All right. Hey, just real quick, the corn market is seven to nine cents higher. Soybean market, which was trading solidly higher in the overnight, has turned solidly lower. Hmm. Losses of, of uh, in the old crop of 10 to 15 cents in the old crop. Soybean meal and soybean oil are also moving to the downside, but wheat futures are trading higher here this morning. Uh, call it 15 to 20 cents higher, 23 cents higher. Surprise, surprise, hogs are lower, feeder cattle are lower, and live cattle futures are mixed. This morning on AgriTalk, we've got Growth Energy's Chris Bliley. We'll be talking about the E15 issues and, of course, the SREs from last week. And Machinery Pete will be on with us. Jim, hey, buddy, good job today. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. Happy Easter. Keep watching for those signals. Mm -hmm.